Father, we're grateful this morning to be able to share in honoring you by boasting in your Son. We're told in your word not to boast in ourselves or any of our accomplishments, but we are to boast only in Christ. And we're grateful that he is a champion Savior and his victory is accomplished. And we're grateful that he did what he did on our behalf so that we might know you and so that we might have great relationships with one another and looking forward to perfect relationships with one another in glory. Encourage us today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, not too long ago, Molly and I were having dinner with some very close friends of ours and we showed up at dinner, we ordered uh, our, our dinner and then I was asked what the big controversy was about. And somehow I'd gotten myself involved in somewhat of a controversy, and it was even affecting our church, even though in a very small kind of way. And she said, Tell, just boil it all down for, down for me. Tell me what this whole thing is about and make it simple. And so I said, I can make it as simple as three words. The controversy comes down to this. I believe Jesus is better Jesus is better, better, not better than he used to be, but better than I ever even knew and better than many of us know. We become Christians and it's awesome. I came to believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he is my personal Lord and Savior when I was a college student at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln and Jesus was awesome. But you grow and you learn and you learn more about what he's done. You learn he not only takes away your sin, but he rises for you, is raised from the dead. And the Bible says he dies for our justification. The Bible says he's raised for our justification. I'm learning this is better than I even knew. Not only that, he lives a perfect life of obedience on our behalf. Jesus is better. And it's exciting somewhat controversial because sometimes when we hear something that we didn't know, it might rub us the wrong way. And we think, I never even thought about that. I've never even heard that before and I don't like it. And so sometimes it's controversial. But Jesus really is better. And I trust that we will grow the more we learn, the more we comprehend, the more we understand until we see him, the Bible says, and we're made like him. And I look forward to that day, but in the meantime, we're doing a series this morning, and we have for the last couple of weeks, that I'm calling Jesus is Better, okay? This is part three of Jesus is Better, and this morning we're going to be in Romans 5. So our Jesus is Better text for today is Romans 5. We just finished a study of 1 John. Uh, we'll do 2 John here shortly, but I wanted to take some time and talk about Something First John talked about, which is assurance, and we get better assurance when we learn just how great Jesus is. And so last, last Sunday we looked at a Jesus is better text. We looked at Luke chapter 2, where the Bible says that not the hearers of the law are justified, but the doers of the law are justified, which is not good news to us sinners. But it's good news when we learn that Jesus fulfilled the law. He was the perfect doer of the law. And so he earns justification for us. That's amazing. Not something I knew in the first part of my Christian walk. So Jesus is better. And Paul's using that as part of the argument of Romans. 
The week before that, we looked at Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is asked what it, what it takes to gain eternal life. And I'm paraphrasing Luke chapter 10, but the way you gain eternal life is you do what God says. And Jesus even said to the men, do this, obey God perfectly, love God, love neighbor perfectly, and you will have eternal life. And we learned the do this and live principle that Jesus taught. If you do this, you will live eternally. If you obey God perfectly, you will have eternal life. Again, that's not gospel news to us. That's not good news to us. It's true. It's always been true. But it doesn't come to us as good news because we're sinful. And so we learn Jesus is better because he not only takes away our guilt... He also provides the positive doing this so that we might live. It's a great, great reality. And in our text today, we're going to need to remember both of those texts because Romans 5 relates to Luke 10 and Romans 5 also relates to Romans chapter 2. So Romans 5 is our Jesus is better text. Uh, We're going to look at verses 12 and following. And I've got a list of reasons why you should get motivated, okay? I'm going to try to motivate you before we dig in, okay? I want to kind of get you ready for this. Uh, It started out as my list of reasons why I love Romans 5, why Romans 5 needs to be a key passage in your list of key passages. It'll help you your whole life. It'll help you to be a better teacher. See, I'm already giving you reasons. Sorry, I'll stop. I get excited about this. Let's start by studying Romans 5, 12, and following because it will give you peace of mind. It will give you peace of mind. Romans 5 begins by telling us we have peace with God, which is most important. But then he goes on to say in the opening 11 verses of Romans chapter 5, talking about how you can rejoice even in persecution and suffering and difficulty in life. And so I'm calling that peace of mind. When your life is going poorly and things are difficult for whatever reason in a fallen, broken world, you can rejoice even in the hardship because... The most important thing has been taken care of. It doesn't mean your problems aren't real. It doesn't mean the persecution isn't real. It doesn't mean the suffering isn't real. But you can at least have it all in perspective, knowing the most important thing has been taken care of in Christ. So really what happens in Romans 5, 1 to 11, it talks about more the practical side of things. And then in Romans 5, 12 and following, it gives us the theological framework for stability. Look, don't take my word for it. Go ahead and look at verse, well, 5.1, we have peace with God, and we, we stand in this peace with, peace with God in verse 2, but I, I, like when it, I like it when it says in verse 2, we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And then at the very end of that section in verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in suffering. We can have a right perspective. We can make it through even when we're not happy because of our happenstance. 
There can be this inter, inner supernatural stability and steadiness that gets you through it because you know your biggest problem has been taken care of. And so then in 5.12 and following, he, he, he gets into the, the seriousness of Jesus dealing with your biggest problem and bringing you into a right relationship with God. And it's done. It's settled. And so no matter what happens, I can rejoice. I was speaking at a, it was a retreat, not a conference. Um, and after I think the first session, maybe the second session, the, the camp leader took me aside uh, after one of the sessions and he basically said, okay, enough of the theology already. Give the people something practical. It was interesting. Uh, one, one guy I met there that he literally would pull his chair up in every session and he would turn sideways and he would sit and listen to me like this kind of came out of a wild-eyed, kind of charismatic background that it was all practical, so to speak. And he said, I've never heard anything like this before. He would like follow me around with his family. It was, it was fun. <laughs> After that encounter, he said, you have thick skin. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. In a nice way, because I was a guest, I tried to tell the, the camp leader... I realize everybody here has problems, because I do too. But what we really need is not more how-to. What we really need is the theological framework, the background, what upholds all of this, so that we can know that no matter what happens in our life, because the fact of the matter is you can follow all the principles in the world and your life is still going to end up not being good. You can know that you know that you know that you know that Jesus is a perfect Savior. He's taking care of your big problem, and so you can rejoice no matter what. Okay, I hope you're a little bit motivated by that. Number two, another motivator, another reason to love Romans chapter 5, and that's because it gives you a perspective on all of human history. I have to be careful, this is going to become a sermon in and of itself. I promise we'll get to Romans. It gives you perspective on all of human history. Here's what happens in Romans 5.12 and following. The Apostle Paul explains all of human history through two individual representatives. There is Adam and there is Jesus. Period. In all of human history. So we start at the very beginning with Adam. And then we come to Christ who brings us all the way to the end because of what he's accomplished. All of human history is viewed through the lens of two Adams. And what we see is the first Adam was to do this and gain life for us, those he represents. Do this and live principle was there. And he didn't do it. And the last Adam, to borrow from 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus did this and lived, and he did it for us. So everything is viewed through that lens. It's amazing. You can understand the whole thing. And that also helps us to have perspective on how we read the Bible. An inspired interpretation of the whole Bible. The Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration, reads the whole thing. Sure, he sees all the other details. Sure, he sees all the other figures. He even talks about many of the other people involved. But ultimately, Adam, last Adam. 
It's all about the drama that unfolds because of the crash and burn here and the restoration that is to come in the one who will do this and live. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. If there's one chapter in the Bible, one portion of the Bible that I would teach my whole life and I'll try to redo it and redo it and redo it different ways, it'll be Romans 5. If there's one chapter in the Bible that you should understand, it would be Romans 5. It's a key that unlocks things. I really hope in my life I can at least teach my kids how to read the Bible in light of Romans chapter 5. Because now it all can make a lot more sense. I hope I can teach you. I hope I can learn from you. If there's one text to own, it's to own Romans 5 because it helps everything to make sense. And it's not easy, by the way. But it's doable. It was written to people who were fairly new Christians. I think today that if you write in your margin just a few little notes or on your tablet or wherever you're doing, if you just write a few little notes down, it will make far more sense than it ever has. Just a few little helper things. I'll be honest with you, it's plagued me a lot of my Christian life. Romans 5, a pile, stacks. I probably have 25 commentaries, good commentaries on, commentaries on Romans, and looking up Greek words and studying grammar and syntax and trying to figure it all out. And one of the greatest things was just to read it in context and to read it from the big picture perspective. And all of a sudden you go, ah. Oh, Okay, I'm hurrying, not really, but I should. Romans 5 will help you also protect yourself from those who undermine the gospel of grace. Representative 1 leads the human race into condemnation. Representative 2 leads the human race, those he's representing, justification. We're going to trust in Him and it's not about us. If someone says salvation is by faith and works, I guarantee you they wouldn't agree with the way I'm going to teach Romans 5. I would suggest they, they won't agree with Romans 5. <laughs> it's a great safety net. Oh, here's another motivator because I kind of like a little bit of controversy. Romans 5 will give pushback to pop evangelicalism. I like a little pushback now and then. Romans 5 is dangerous to our pet doctrines. I don't know. Today you might be thinking, oh, I, I don't know if I really agree with that. Well, you know what? I didn't write the Bible, but I'm going to try to make it clear. And you go, huh, I might have to adjust my understanding of God and Jesus and Adam a little bit because this didn't really fit. I'll be honest, I kind of like that a little bit. I like it in my life. Another great reason for Romans 5, 12 and following is it will put you in great company, great partnership with other believers who have gone before us. It ends up being a litmus text that believers who have been promoting the gospel have given themselves to understand and believers who have been defending the gospel have given themselves to understand. It's one of those key touchstone kind of texts. And so if, if you start loving Romans 5 and it's starting to make sense, you're going to have sweet fellowship with other men and women who are alive now and who've gone before us. It's just one of those texts that we have to understand to enjoy that. And then finally, it'll give you a proper motivation for obedience. 
It'll give you a proper motivation for obedience, and I might save that for the very end. There's none of our obedience in Romans chapter 5. But by the time you're done with Romans chapter 5, you now have a proper perspective on what should motivate you to do the right thing. In one sense, only when we're done with understanding Romans 5 are we ready to get busy. But we're motivated the right way to get busy. In chapter 6. And I think we'll probably do that next week. Learning about how Jesus is better. Okay, longest, his, uh, longest introduction in the history of history. Um, let's, let's jump right in. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam. Just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, I would encourage you to notice the contrast and the parallel back down in verse 15. We see there's another person who's called the one man, and that would be Jesus. So if you drop down to verse 15, at the end, one man, Jesus Christ. So notice there's going to be this parallel that goes back and forth. The one man in contrast with the one man. The one man, Adam. The one man, Jesus. The two representatives that represent. So sin came into the world through the one man, Adam. Then it says, and death through sin. So sin, according to 1 John, is lawlessness, a violation of God's law. And death comes as a result. We learned that in chapter 3 of Romans. But here we have, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, all human beings, because all sinned. I think that's going to be potentially confusing if you've never studied it before. If you don't read the rest. Okay? But for now, I'm going to say what we're going to learn from the rest. Because all sinned, he means all sinned via Adam as the representative. Because some of you have had a lot of birthdays, but none of you have had that many birthdays to be there in the garden. He's talking about in the garden. All sinned, oh yeah, he's speaking representatively. All were represented by Adam. And so all sinned in that sense via the representative. Okay? So it's not impossible to understand, but he's anticipating that we would read the rest of this. Two different one-mans, if you will. And this is how God, through Adam, through 1 Corinthians 15, the last Adam, has chosen to deal with the human race. I know some people who don't like that. They don't think it's fair. They don't think it's the way they would have done it. But I'm here to tell you that that's the way that God has done it. The one man, sin leading to death, condemnation. The one man leading, as we're going to see, to life, eternal life for all who would trust in him. Through representation. It's an important concept in the Bible. It's always interesting when people don't think that's fair. They they usually, sometimes they do, they usually don't argue about the fairness of Jesus representing people. 
But we're not going to get into all the fairness stuff today. One man. One man. Death because of sin. Life because of obedience. The drama of redemption. Two representatives. Sometimes we call them, and I'm getting ahead of myself in theology, we'll refer to them as federal representatives. That's not a a foreign concept to us because we have a federal government. It's a little bit different, but representative government, they make decisions and those decisions affect us. There's more involved in in it than that, but at least helps you understand. We'll talk more about that at the end, I think. We doing okay? It's going to be a little bit of work, but I promise you the payoff is great. I, I don't have enough money to bribe you to listen. But I want you to know I'm bribing a couple of my kids today. If they can answer the questions I've given them, it's five bucks each. I'll do whatever it takes. Lasting impact. You can read the Bible and make sense of it. You can read history and make sense of it. You can understand Jesus and and what he's done on our behalf to do this and live and, and, and make sense of it. And praise God and realize Jesus is better than you even knew. Commentators tell us that verses 13 to 17 are are like a parenthesis. It's important, but really where we're focusing is chapter 5, verse 12, and then 18 and 19. But I don't want to audit or edit God. Um, so, So let's go ahead and deal with these verses. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. It's the law of Moses in context we're going to see doesn't mean there's no law at all because there's the moral law written on people's hearts. Um, This thing is filled with legal terminology. But here's what he's trying to make, the point he's going to prove. There's been death, and there was death before the law of Moses. Because death started with Adam. Okay? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. It's not counted in the same way where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. See, that's when the Mosaic law was given with Moses. But death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression or sin violation of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. So far, not too hard to understand, but he's making sure that his Jewish audience understands. Uh, We have death before Mosaic law. We have death ever since Adam disobeyed. And not only that, death has reigned. That becomes important because later he's going to talk about how life reigns in Christ, even better so, because there's the comparison between the two Adams. All tied to Adam at this point in time. That's his argument. That's what he's trying to do. All tied to what happened through the first representative. Don't lose focus. Don't start thinking about Mosaic Law, Mr. and Mrs. Jew. It's all about the first Adam. Calamity strikes. You want to know why your life is so bad? You can actually know. 
And then do notice there at the end of verse 14, who was a type of the one who was to come. There's our little hint, right? When you're in types, you have a type and you have an anti-type. Anti-type, not, ag- not, not against, but it, it's, it's the reality here. So if Adam is a type, he's the lesser but still like the one who is to come, the antitype. Or we talk about uh, sometimes from biblical authors, you have the shadow and the substance. The, 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 the one who is similar, but the ultimate comes later. And so what happens in Romans 5 is you have this parallel. There's a lot of similarities, but there are also really big differences. And so you just have to remember that in Romans chapter 5. There's a lot of parallels. You've got Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Oh, representing the entire human race. Representing everyone who would ever believe. Guaranteeing death and condemnation. Condemnation, the negative of the positive of justification, where you're declared righteous. That's what Jesus is going to do. He's a type. Okay. I get excited about this. Not because it's going to help me know how to better mow the lawn this afternoon. Because I mowed it two days ago. I don't have to mow it. Anyway, not because it's going to help me in anything like that, but it's going to help me understand how God works. And it's going to help me to understand how the Bible is set up. And it's going to help me to understand how great Jesus is. And nothing ultimately is better than that. I can rejoice through anything because I'm understanding this awesome grand superstructure of being united to the true and better Adam, as the song says. It's exciting. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15.45 is where Jesus is called. Jesus is called the last Adam. Okay? Adam wants to do this and live. That's always been the reality and the principle, to love God and love neighbor. He didn't. It led to death and condemnation for everyone he represents. But he's a type. So we're waiting for something better. We're waiting for something more significant. And I love the way Paul uses uh, language in Romans chapter 5. We're going to start seeing him emphasize better, greater. Oh, they're similar, but he's so much more significant. And what we receive is so much better. We're going to see that now. Let's go ahead and do it. Verse 15. But the free gift... That's to us. The free gift. He's established that in chapter 1, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, and earlier in chapter 5. But the free gift, the grace gift, is not like the trespass. Not like the violation of law. Even if many died through one man's... Excuse me. For if many died through one man's trespass, and they did, right? Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Yeah, he's talking types. 
lesser, it's bad, consequences are bad, but greater is the antitype, the fulfillment, the substance. And the calamity here was terrible, but you know what's greater is the free gift of eternal life found in Christ. So I notice there is the parallel, but they're not exactly equal. Far from it. It's grand. One man. One man. One man. Then you have the comparison, the many and the many. One trespass we're going to see. One act of righteousness. Is this easy? I hope it's easy. When I was in seminary, I had a, my favorite professor had me, he went on vacation and he had me teach a class for him while he was gone. And I got to teach a class. It was a big deal for me. I was terrified out of my wits. He gave me his notes, but I studied super hard and was able to teach the class for him. And then a tragedy happened in his life and he wasn't teaching anymore. And so then someone came to me who was still involved in the faculty and said, they came and got me in class. And they said, so-and-so would like you to teach the class for him tonight on the imputation of Adam's sin. Here are the notes. I looked at his secretary. Do you think I wanted to do it? (laughs) Heck yes! Do you think I did it? Heck no! I said, I can't do that. Well, why? I'm not prepared to do that. But you have the notes. Oh, no, you don't understand. I'm not ready to do that. No, he really wants you to do it. He wants you to teach the class. I'm sorry. I'd do anything for him. But I can't teach that class. Why? This is not easy to understand. And there's all kinds of debates and controversies about what the representative does and back and forth. And is this because we're physically related to Adam? But that wouldn't work because then we're physically related to Jesus. So that, that's not the right view. It's the, the, the federal view is the right view. And I'm ready to teach the class now. <laughs> okay. So what I'm saying to you is it doesn't have to be that difficult, but there's a whole lot lying underneath. But I think if you write a few notes in your margin and understand the one and the many, and they're similar but not exactly the same, you can get it. And I'm not even kidding, you can teach the class. Maybe not to a bunch of seminarian eggheads who think they know everything. But you could teach the class in your sphere of influence and you can understand it yourself. And I would love, love, love for that to be true in your life. Man, I wish I had that day over again. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like, notice there's a lot of similarities and parallels, but the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. There's likeness, but there's not likeness. Then it says, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
Most of you know this, but not everybody does. Condemnation is what you receive when you're found guilty of violating law. It's a legal word. Condemnation. Justification is what you receive when you're found obedient to the law. You're declared righteous. You're declared an upholder of God's law. Naturally, all of us stand, because of the first Adam, condemned. Because of what he did. Those who would believe in Jesus are found justified, declared righteous. Because we are inherently righteous? No, because He is inherently righteous. He did this so that we could live. But notice the contrast. And it's a great contrast. What everyone wants and needs, even if they don't know it and they don't know the biblical language, you want to be justified. You want to stand before God and be seen by God as an upholder of the divine standard, of His commandments, of the law. God, what you want is for God to see you as somebody who loved Him perfectly and loved your neighbor appropriately, as yourself, according to Jesus. But since you don't, you naturally and I naturally stand condemned. I want to stand before God because of the last Adam, because of His obedience, we're going to see, justified, declared righteous. And the Bible says it happens by faith. We've seen that in chapter 3, 4, and 5 because it's based upon trusting faith in Him because He did this as the first Adam didn't do this. This is hallelujah chorus stuff, by the way. Yeah, but teach me how to worship better. I am... Right? I mean, th- this is where we talk about the thing behind the thing. Jesus is a great Savior. Well, how would we know that if we don't know anything about justification? How would we know that if we w- didn't know anything about the, the two Adams? He's a glorious, great, grand Savior who's better than you probably even knew because of what He's accomplished. And we trust in Him so that we don't have condemnation, but we have justification declared an upholder of the divine standard. Not because we are, but because He is. It's so awesome. Doctrinal preaching. That bad doctrinal preaching. It just, you know, is no good. Not practical at all. What? I don't know where we were, but I think we're in... Are we in verse 15? No? 16? Thank you. Are you sure or are you just trying to get to Jimmy John's faster? Freaky fast. Were you the one that ordered a Jimmy John's for me one time? Somebody, I can't remember who did it. I was like, I walked out of church and there was my Jimmy John's. Anyway, pretty funny. Don't do it, please. I'm supposed to pay you to listen, right? Numbers, number 16, losing my mind, losing focus. Okay, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. We already did that. We're 17. Man. Sorry. I get excited about this. Verse 17. For if. For if. 
because of one man's trespass. That's law violation. Adam. Death reigned through that one man. Contrast, greater typology, much more. That's because Jesus is better. This is our Jesus is better text. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And I love it in verse 21, just to drop down there, where it's Jesus Christ the Lord. That's, that's, that's reigning title, right? So death reigned via first representative and all who came after him. And now life reigns. Grace reigns. And it reigns because of Jesus. And that gives you some insight. It's not the only reason, but one reason why he's called the Lord. He's the one who makes grace reign. He's the one who makes life be the dominant factor. So far, death, condemnation has been the dominant factor plaguing humankind. And now, because of Jesus, we have life, dominant factor of those who trust in Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of that, the reigning one. I love that. I hope you love it too. Notice how what a shocker it is where it says in verse 17 toward the end there, the free gift of righteousness. I mean, I wrote in my margin, dangerous. Free gift of righteousness. If you take the Jesus substitute out of the question, out of the equation, just for a moment so we can see Jesus is better, free gift of righteousness, that's not right. Which is another way of saying, that's not righteous. Free gift of righteousness. Righteous is upholding the law. It doesn't happen apart from obedience. How, how could you be righteous before God unless you loved Him and loved neighbor? You, you can't. God's not a compromiser. God's not going to let that go. Free gift of righteousness. There's no such thing. Ha ha. Unless there's a true and better Adam representative who has done this on our behalf so that we could be declared righteous based upon what he's done. It's amazing. But I do want you to see free gift of righteousness. At least at first reading, I would love for you to see that as scandalous and dangerous. Even an impossibility. Apart from true and better Adam. And now, what wasn't free to him, as I stand in the shadow of this cross, not to mention his whole life was suffering, what's not free to him, we're even learning about his act of obedience, is free, right, to you, if you're trusting in him. Free gift of righteousness. And this is why, by the way, why, why somebody who wants to say salvation is by what God gives you and by what you do, they don't like Romans chapter 5. They got to do a lot of head fakes to get through Romans chapter 5. Free gift of righteousness. <laughs> so no matter what happens in your life, and today might be a great day and it might be a terrible day, but eventually doesn't end well. 
But we have these the superstructure, these moorings that help us understand big picture of things that will last forever. Free gift of righteousness. God freely, because of what he's done through his son, sees me as if I loved him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love neighbor as self. <laughs> and through his son Jesus, who was obedient to the point of death, dies on a cross to take away my guilt. Yes. But it's dangerous. Another reason it's dangerous, by the way, is people say, if this word, if word gets out, people won't behave. People won't do the right thing. I actually think people will behave for the right reason. Chapter 6. Free gift of righteousness. Awesome. Through the reigning one, the Lord Okay, here's the pinnacle. I got pretty excited about that. I'm going to have to kind of get some, get rejuiced here. Uh, Remember I said parenthesis, so 12 and then 18 and 19. Yeah, here we go. 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass, takes us back to verse 12, the, the, the trespass of Adam, the violation of God's standard, the violation of God's law. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Adam 1, Adam 2. I'd be in great company to say, Jesus, one act of righteousness is looking at his whole work holistically. And for good reason, Romans chapter 10 says he was raised for our justification. Romans chapter 5 earlier, he died for our justification. We have other texts, his life. It's, 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 it's viewing Jesus' whole life lived, theologians say, holistically. And plus it's fitting the parallel, the way he's arguing. One act, one act. By the way, since Jesus is now ascended, you can look at his whole work as the one act. It's amazing. And life for all men. I wrote in my margin, and I would encourage you to do the same, after that verse, all he represents... Because so far he's been talking about you're justified how? By being a human being? No. The traction is already in Romans. From Romans 1 to Romans 3 to Romans 4 to Romans 5, you're justified by what? By faith. By faith. By faith. By faith. You're not just justified automatically. You're justified when you believe in Jesus and you're united to Christ. So I'm reading that into Romans 5. But I'm reading that into Romans 5 because of Romans 1 to 4. And by the way, if you don't do that, you just became a universalist. Which I wouldn't recommend based upon what Jesus teaches about hell. Because the language is strong. All condemned who are represented by the first Adam. That would include everybody. 
all who are represented by the last Adam justified. So I'm willing to suggest to you that those he's representing are those who would believe. Or we have universalism. Something for you to think about. Which, by the way, fuels my assurance because Jesus did what he did as a justifying act, not potentially giving justification, but most assuredly giving justification to those he represents. Now we're getting into controversy. I'd like to see everyone's hand who is... No, I'm not. I don't want to do that. Wow. Let's do verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Righteous before God is the idea. Not inherently righteous. That would contradict the context. It's through representation. So we'll be made righteous before God. Disobedience, sin and condemnation, obedience... Righteous before God or justified. It's a synonym for justified. I love 19. I I love 19 and I want to stop there, but let's keep reading and then we'll come back to the reality of disobedience and obedience. How about verse 20? Now the law came in to increase the trespass. It, It magnified it. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Righteousness is adherence to law, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe you've been thinking about this your whole Christian life, but I didn't think about this for a long time as a Christian. Righteousness leading to eternal life. How could that happen? It could never happen. Righteousness leading to eternal life? But that's the principle Jesus taught in Do This and Live in Luke chapter 10. Righteousness leading to eternal life. That's the same reality of Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 13. God only justifies the doers of the law, not the hearers of the law. They're the ones He gives eternal life to. How could this possibly be? Righteousness, adherence to law, leading to eternal life. Again, I want to say that can't be, and I want you to, I kind of want you to read it that way. All have sinned, right? No, no one can do that. This, this can't be. It's, it's another scandalous kind of statement, but we keep reading, right? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah! Victor! True and better Adam! He did this. It's extraordinary. Most, that, that's not, I have to be careful about always and never. Many, 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 many Christians I have met, let's put it that way. They, they, they get the, uh, you know, Christ died for me and rose again from the dead, and I'm super glad for that. 
but they don't have a touchstone, do this and live reality from Jesus of Luke chapter 10 or Romans chapter 2 or Romans chapter 5. And I want to say, do you realize that eternal life requires perfect righteousness? And oftentimes it's, huh? My pastor was just talking about how I can have less less anxiety next week. Well, I'm helping you have less anxiety and rejoice. Eternal life requires perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. Another way of saying righteousness. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He did it. Through His act, we read, of obedience. It is staggering to the mind. Amazing. Jesus is better than we even realize. I really want to encourage you to read Romans 5 in light of Luke 10. No, let me do it a better way. Read Romans 5 in light of Romans 2. Right? We're not doing it right now. We, we studied it last week. Romans 2.6 and, and 7 and 2.13. It's obedience for eternal life. Luke chapter 10, do this and live for eternal life. We're not going to take the time to go there, but Paul picks up the do this and live statement in chapter 10. Same thing for eternal life. First Adam was required to do this and bring life for all he represented. The last Adam, the true and better Adam, did this and gained eternal life for all he represented. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. In theology, this is called the federal headship of Adam, the federal headship of Jesus. And you can't find the word federal headship in the Bible, but it is really important. And when it gets compromised, things start crumbling like justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because we all put work somewhere. And I'm suggesting to you, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 and 2 and 10, and Luke chapter 10, puts works with Jesus. Obedience brings justification. But not yours. And I'm purposely reading Adam in Romans 5 in light of the parallel with Jesus. He did this so that we could live. The expectation was there for him to do this so that we could live. This is why on his deathbed, famous story, if you've heard it, you've probably heard it a hundred times because you read all the same things I do. But if you haven't heard it, you should hear it. When J. Gresham Machen, John Gresham Machen, was on his deathbed, I think he was in North Dakota. I think it was via telegram. By the way, J. Gresham Machen was a professor at Princeton and was given the left foot of fellowship 
if you will, and uh, started Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia with the conservative faculty. This is, what, 1940s, 30s, I don't know off the top of my head, who, one who stood for the gospel and for faithful Bible teaching. Machen sent the telegraph when he was dying back. Thankful for the active obedience of Christ. Period. No hope without it. What he meant by the active obedience of Christ is that Jesus not only takes the penalty away, the guilt, he positively, through his actions, fulfills all righteousness so we don't stand before God with zero. We stand before God having, having freely received righteousness. No hope without it. But with it, Chapter 5, hope. And not only hope, hope amidst suffering and pain and difficulty in life because it's the greatest thing that's been taken care of. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the great reality of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's heartbreaking that this is controversial. And yet we can be thankful for the controversy because it causes us to learn more and causes us to study perhaps even more diligently. Thank you that we have salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true and better Adam. Thank you that we can stand confidently before you, not on our own, but because of him. And that we can know with certainty that you will accept us because you with certainty raised Jesus from the dead. And we are grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray.